Welcome to The Collector's House, a Matches Fashion Podcast. I'm Danielle Rudeutschen. Each episode features a conversation with a creative mind about the things that inspire them or that have given their life meaning in some way. From books, to art, to a piece of jewellery, these objects are collected into a cabinet which resides in physical form in the attic at 5 Carlos Place, the Matches Fashion Townhouse in London. My guest on this episode is Nena Cherry, a Swedish-born, West London-based musician who caused a stir in the 80s with her seminal album, Raw Like Sushi. Over tea at her home, we talked about her nomadic early years, dreaming about her inspirational mother, her post-punk feminist pals, and being part of the Buffalo-style tribe, which she helped turn into a global pop culture phenomenon. Yeah, I mean, I was definitely around um, in that time because I came here like 1980. But so I wasn't really here like in the heyday, in the kind of um, eye of the storm of like punk. But but definitely like, um, yeah, coming here from about 79. And then I came and lived here in 80. Yeah. So it was sort of post-punk. But so there was, was still, kinda, there was that. I mean, you were hanging. You were you were singing with. Um, you were hanging out with Viv Albertine and um, Ari. Ari, who you live with. Uh, yep, and, and Tessa Pollitt, who lives around the corner. Still, who's still, you know, my really great close, fa- you know, family. Yeah, you know, and I think that was actually one of the things that I put on my five list of five. Yeah. What is family? Family. You know how. That was really what I found here, in a way, when I when I came. Um, just kind of very attracted and interested by the spirit of things that was going on here. So you say around the corner, we should probably say where we are. Um, well, we're in West London yeah. right now. <laughs> so this is where you first came to, from Sweden? I, well, you, you know, I'm, I grew up kind of born in Sweden, and I guess kind of predominantly like my family's home base but we were like very much a kind of traveling unit but it was definitely at my family home which is still there in southern sweden uh, we call it the mothership so you know it's that where, big home that where I we read live. about is that still yeah does your mom still no, your mom, no my mom's mom gone passed. my mom passed um, but the house nine is, years ago still... but the house is still there and it's very much the fuel that you know this is like where you know my my family goes to reset you know to incredible you still go yeah and it's just I guess it's like I mean because I've moved around a lot I think I adapt quite quickly like yeah Yeah. to living in a new place and you know I figure out like where I am and what I need and 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 I kind of tend to find my feet quite quickly and I'm you know I'm quite motivated by like food where are the good food shops where's the market do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, but then it's also like a f- funny contradiction because I think also when you've moved around a lot, you adapt quickly, but then you can also forever kind of sometimes feel like you're an outsider. And I think like in Sweden, that's the one place, the consistent place that's been there for the longest in my life. And, and you- I feel only one of the only places I feel like I kind of f- really come from. But like before I moved here, just to, I'm not going to interrupt no, you no, anymore. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, I guess I was, I had been spending a little bit more time in New York. That was all I was going to say. Do you um, dream in Swedish still? In English? You know what? Question has been asked before. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I think, um, I think maybe like I dream more in English because I speak more. English and then occasionally if I'm dreaming like I think when I dream about my mother I dream in Swedish um I don't know even when I'm thinking whether I'm really thinking in Swedish or English but I think because English is the language that I use more I've used it more to uh, on a I mean, since living in Sweden again, like we were living there for 10 years up until about five years ago, 
I reunited with Swedish. Like I learned how to speak it again, like on a deeper level. Do you know oh, what I mean? Right. Because yeah. because I moved away from there. I mean, I so young, like I, I living here, I didn't really have a lot of Swedish friends. You know, so I was only really speaking it with when I call up my mother or. My Do you feel a connection siblings. with Swedish culture when you go back? I mean, I feel. It's a funny thing because it's familiar to me. You know, it's part of my deep familiar. So it's a place that, of course, I come from, but it took me a while to have a sense of belonging because culturally it was so limited for so long. And even though the house that I came from was kind of enriched with many corners of culture and there was all sorts of things going on and of course we were a mixed race household and through music and food and life there was so much going on but beyond the walls of like friends and family Sweden was Swedish for the Swedish and even though there's been people coming there from different corners of the world for so long there's still kind of a you know there's still this kind of feeling of like that Sweden really wants you to be become Swedish right. and abide to Swedish culture as quickly as possible. Right. Everyone can like go to school. Every can, yeah. You know what I mean? You'll be fine, but just play by the rules. And I think, actually, it's really beautiful to see that, um, especially the younger generations, who I guess are born and bred in Sweden, but also new, new arrivals, are beginning to take you know, occupy some space, yeah. you know, and make and noise, sound, say things. And um, actually, uh, last, I guess it was at the end of last year. Where are we? Oh, my God, it's all a blur. June, it just doesn't feel like June. Was it? No, it must have been the beginning of this year. Um, I went to the Swedish Grammys and actually won a Grammy, which was funny. Hey. Hey. <laughs> Did you have to accept in Sweden? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like most of the kids in there and people, people, men and women and people who were winning the, the little trophies, you know, were coming from all corners of the, of, of, of sort of cultural aspects. And that was like, made me feel so touched, moved, you know, and it made me just think like, wow, my dad would have been so happy and my mother you know yeah. to see what's going on now in music you know specifically at that point but with regards to do you mean like do you mean seeing it diversity. More diversity yeah in yeah um for people who might not know about the house that you've been talking about mm -hmm. do you want to explain um what it was and how your parent your mother and stepdad arrived at that space and what they wanted to do with it um, I have to say that now, like, I really admire, admire, you know, their, what they were trying to and what they did create. Um, basically, we'd been living in Stockholm until I was four years old in the old town, and um, which was very old school. Like, we literally had a outdoor toilet in, in our apartment. You know, some old guy would come and empty it, like, every few wow. Like, I, I can't remember how often, how often, I hope. And then, so basically that whole part of Stockholm was going through a kind of a renovation thing. So we, my my parents or my mother didn't decided not to, um, re, you know, get another lease. So we moved out, put all our stuff into storage, got in our bus. My dad was going to Turkey to do a project with James Baldwin, actually, and some other musicians wow. he was working with. So we drove there. So that's it's Don Cherry. Don Cherry. Jazz, jazz musician. Musician yeah. and musician. We went to Turkey, and then I guess we came back, and then because we lived between Sweden and New York, I think they went, we all went back to New York. And then my dad got a... a my mother, I mean, they very much collaborated. You know, my mother was an artist. And I guess a lot of their I sort of ideas were about, um, you know, more wanting to do more with 
creative space. So kind of combining visual and sonic. You know, my mother was a visual artist. So she started making stage sets and stuff for my dad. And first, because she, she went to a kind of a great school in, in Stockholm called uh, Beckmann's studying textiles she first was sort of painting sets and then she started making things in fabric so she made these amazing tapestries so they were de definitely working together my dad got a, a sort of a, um, a a term at Dartmouth University as a music professor and so we lived in Vermont for a while and then they were kind of maybe thinking that we'd settle in the states but you know the Vietnam War was going on there were a lot of crazy things happening in the States politically. And I think they just decided to go back to Sweden. And so basically we we all went back. My brother Eagle Eye was like six, eight, I don't know, a few year. I'm not sure how old he was, but um, a year and a half or something. And they bought this, they traveled around for a bit and then they found this old schoolhouse in southern Sweden, which had been uh, just closed down for maybe seven years or something. And I guess they were like, okay, this is great because we can bring up the family here and we there's space for us, you know, for the music, for my mother's art, to grow food, you know, to be independent, for people to come here also to spend time. And so um, I think I think we bought the house. My mother did a deal with the local guy who owned the sawmill who had owned the schoolhouse then for like <laughs> four grand or something. I remember wow. sitting in this big parlor in this guy's house back on this like really old school leather couch and my mother was sitting at like a huge kind of dining table in this parlor and he bought a, a bottle of like moonshine and put it on the table <laughs> and my mother like did a shot with him and you know they did a handshake and that was it. The Swedish way. This <laughs> yeah. old school yeah. Swedish way. You know, because it's in a part of like northern southern Sweden, which is just like the flat bit before when you come from Copenhagen is like where all the kind of rich farmland is. And then you go up into the about an hour or so north of Malmö and it's very woodsy, the ground's full of rock. So it was always been very hard to, you know, to, to what's it called, to make, you know, the, to grow to make the fields you know people would just my granddad grew up in that area and he just spent his childhood picking stones basically mm. <laughs> it's like kind of hardcore yeah. but it was kind of interest uh, you know an interesting place because it was just like a bit kind of forgotten you know and so is it the, the same now it's i mean it's like you know it's not like my mother used to say it's kind of just nowhere do you know what I mean? It's not like a place that people go to really. Now you get like more holiday people from like sort of Germany and Holland who want to be in the forest, you know. But it's not like on the coast, you know, where there's like lots of the Stockholm mm -hmm. trendies go and hang out there. Or there's lots of nice little groovy bakeries and, you know, it's just kind of nowhere. But that's what <laughs> makes it great. Um, yeah, so the household was, you know, it was quite a trip. Like, my mother painted the whole house. I mean, when I think about it now, she was only 27 when we moved there. And I can't really believe it, you know? And still, the house is, I mean, a lot of the original painting that she did on the, um, you know, there was like a blue room and a yellow room and, and you know, like lots of amazing detailed stuff along the... Amazing. Yeah. Did you dream about her a lot? I dream about her quite a lot. Mm. But like not every week or mm. every month, you know, like every few months. But it's always very... Um, yeah, I mean, it's... I, I, it always affects me like really deeply sometimes it's just like really soothing and it makes me really happy and other times it's kind of painful or it's like I can I can see her but I can't reach her yeah. kind of thing yeah yeah you know time heals and it does heal in, in theory um but I kind of resent the distance you know you start to like it's going to be 10 years in August and I'm kind of like Obviously, I'm stronger than I was 
but I just hate the fact that it's like such a long time since I saw it. So I guess when you dream, it's a little bit like you, there, it's generally, it's so close, isn't it? Yeah. You can just, it's like they're there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, if it's a conversation, it's a really weird conversation. Yeah. Um, so if you, so if you were going to put something from your fam to represent your family, as one of the things that you put into this cabinet, um, would it be a photograph or would it be of everyone in your family or how would you represent it? <clears throat> I think because of how the inner sanctum of the family was that I grew up in, we were always surrounded by a lot of other family. So I think we were always very close family that made a lot of family. And I think that I have continued to be like that. I think I very much... Yeah. You know, it's the foundation of like kind of how I function, even with people that I'm working and collaborating with or the band that I'm working with now. We're just, <clears throat> we're family and that, that becomes a very, the most natural way for me to approach my life. And I think in the center of like family communication, other than the collaborative thing or if you're working or, or, or and with the sort of what was it called the what's it called the self-made family um i think for me from where i am and how i grew up it was always food and music yeah so like when i was a kid of course because of my dad my stepdad um being a musician there was always people playing or he would be playing the piano, or he played this African um, hunter's guitar called the Duzinguni, or the flute, or he'd be playing with other musicians, or we would have records playing. And so that's always, to me, such a big part of, you know, the exchange, what you put on when you're cooking. And food is kind of where we all Meat. Yeah, like universal yeah. language. Yeah. And I think I was talking to my friend Andrea. We did a, a little thing for, for the face the other day, Andrea Oliver, who's one of my oldest friends. And we we were talking about, you know, like as soon as we met, we were kind of like, well, where have you been? You know. <laughs> She's a chef. We, yeah. yeah. And we made, became family, you know, and started cooking <laughs> together. We've always done that and you know people would travel if they sometimes hear that we're cooking like one year for Thanksgiving we were like yeah let's make a Thanksgiving dinner you know and my brother was like <laughs> literally my brother Eagle I was like oh, I'm booking a ticket <laughs> <laughs> just for the food yeah. yeah and so I guess what I was going to say is like um, even for this matches event that I'm doing like for me it was like I don't want to just like play records and and have some DJ and a mm. few drinks and a few little canapes. Let's like let's like try and make it as much as we can. So you're doing like into something that we would make as yeah. a family. Do you know as so, how we do so it? That's which two is, separate events. You're doing the one at um, Somerset House yeah. with Andy, which you're, where you're cooking in the square, and it's part of the Get Up Stand Get Up, up Now exhibition that yeah. just opened there. Yes. Which is celebrating black creativity. And then the matches thing is something else that you're doing a, is it a party? It's or some kind, of kind of a party. And I guess it's a launch fashion thing. House in May Mayfair. Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> it's kind of a, it's kind of a party, but I guess I was just mentioning those two things because I think that I just kind of bring that thing with me kind of wherever I go. And that's the way and that I, you feel at it, home or, yeah, yeah it's kind of yeah, how and it just it's just kind of how we roll yeah like some people go for a run wherever they go don't yeah. they as a way to get their bearings or to feel at home in an area i suppose that's another way of yeah connecting with an area and i think that's that's just kind of you know like um i think that's kind of how i've got through you know the kind of idea of family is always yeah, in, it's not about in place. The center. Yeah. 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 And so when wherever you are, it's kind of like that's there. We yeah. have I have that with me. Sorry. And that's kind of what makes home, I guess. Mm. Um, just going back, I wanted to ask you so that when you first moved to the UK and you were living with Ari, but also you were um 
I think, did you live with or you were singing with or with um, X-Ray Specs? I never, I never sang with um, X-Ray Specs, or but I, but I, I love X-Ray Specs. <laughs> did they? And I was just um, and poly, yeah, and polystyrene, and I was just. But when you were coming into contact with these women, I was just wondering if did it. Um, they obviously had a certain kind of brash feminism or some sort of attitude. Um, did that rub off on you in any way? Were you already? Did you already have some kind of feminism instilled in you from your mother, or was did your attitude toward feminism change through meeting them at all? I grew up around some pretty spectacular women, you know, mm. um, and the sound and the feel. Because that's interesting. Because the next one of the things on my list of five is women, <laughs> actually. Okay. So you're doing. Yeah. We're doing okay. good here, good. <laughs> um, and I think. You know, the, um, so I think I had, I think I had that instilled in, in me, you know, my mother was a, like a, a pretty, um, amazing individual, <laughs> you know, um, not to say, you know, I mean, she also had a, uh, what's the word am I trying to say? You know, she didn't always have the easiest time in her life, right? But that's life, mm. you know. It's, life is real and it takes you up and down. But, um, and I think also I, I grew up around amazing women and I listened to a lot of amazing women. Like when I think about, like when I was a kid, the kind of women that really like kind of appealed to me were sounds like Billie Holiday or Dinah Washington or... Shaka Khan, or when I started listening to someone like Polystyrene or The Slits, like I think I kind of started listening to those records before I actually met them, and it was the sound and the feeling and of of their independence and like kind of hearing their strength. Minnie Ripperton, you know. Um, and then when I came here and like got to know like Ari and Tessa and Polly and Viv Albertine, um, Vivian Goldman, you know, met meeting Andrea Oliver. I mean, they it it's like we were really there for each other, you know, we had each other's backs. And of course, the women that were older than me, like their spirit and their insights, of course, had a huge impact on me. And I came here and I, you know, I learned how to take up space. <laughs> yeah, that's really Do you know what I mean? And to it, be yeah. allowed to feel like, yeah, it's okay to, it's not even the thing of asking, like, whether it's okay or not. It was just like, we're here. We're going to, we're going to do this. <laughs> not always knowing what that meant. And, you know, mm. but, and of course, you know, like living with someone like Ari who had a, a very um, amazing mind, you know, and she was like a really, really creative person. And she was a very, I mean, a complete, a complete one-off. <laughs> I mean, I guess everyone is, but Ari was like, but then there were other sides to her where she'd like never boiled an egg kind yeah. of thing. Do you know what I mean? So I think that also like I had which when I talk to Tessa now, like she was like, wow, like when you started being around us, like you brought so much to us. And, and I had no idea really, but like the year before I came to live here, I'd been in Africa with my father in Sierra Leone for three or four months for the Your first time, my biological, biological father. father. And, you know, that had really, um, given me another layer level to like my identity and really opened my eyes and yeah like added to my being yeah. you know I really grew there and grounded actually so yeah so I guess I brought a lot of that spirit with me that I had learned you know found there mm. 
So if you go back and look at like um, Slit's film, there's like a footage of me and Ari dancing together in Berlin, no I think. And, you know, I'm like got my head tie, you know, some Africa skirt that I had made in Sierra Leone. And yeah, we were, we were, yeah, we were working it. But of course, going back to, you know, women and, and um, my female friends and the women who I've read and listened to have, you know, carried me through and carry me through, you know. And, you know, one of my favorite things in the world is to either be like with my daughters or like under a duvet with Andrea or, you know, what one of my sisters, like either like just spooning or just lying really close, mm -hmm. watching a film or, you know, just... What do you think about the current cultural moment around Me Too? I mean, I think, like, it's kind of incredible what's happened over the last few years. And I think that um, uh, the dynamic or the space that we've found where we can like start to speak to each other whilst you know because actually the idea of not the idea but conversation and talking mean is a huge part of media through so i mean of course it's through yeah. social media yes but i think it's more than that because i think that social media is the kind of maybe the main platform and that's the place where you know someone could be sitting in you know out of siberia talking to someone who's in utah you know what i mean yeah. Or just the voices, we can hear each other's voices, like, directly. And I think that's really powerful. And, As the mother and it has changed a lot, yeah. actually, because, you know, it sort of meant that people have had to go, like, oh, shit, this is wrong, rather than, oh, what are these fucking bitches whining about? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I think that that is, like, you know, because I think that we've all had things happen to us, you know, men and women. Um, but, you know, I think for women, it's like, it's always been this kind of, you know, you've, you're ashamed, you don't want to, you might talk to your friends about it, but you put things aside and you don't really take in how they affected you. You just, you know, pull your britches up, your socks, whatever, <laughs> and you keep going. Mm. And then it was like, so it created a space where all of a sudden you started to go like, oh my God, Oh my God, so when that guy put his hands on my tits in that car, that was actually like much weirder than I yeah. <laughs> than, than I realized, you know? And I think, and then I think the important thing is like, this is happening and you can see all of a sudden there's this sort of, you know, we're, we, and I'm just like, it's not that we're being allowed to take, now we, I'm saying women, but it's like you're just seeing a shift. There's a shift happening in the workspaces that, you know, in the world. Obviously, you know, by no means uh, are we done. It's like there's still so much to, mm. you know, constantly be aware of and to fight for. And yeah, as the you have three daughters. I do. And I mean, even before, like, I mean, yes, me too, as been a powerful thing but I feel like even before all that happened like my daughters like like Mabel and her young girlfriends like when they were still at school they were like so militant they were just like and you know Mabel and her first boyfriend this guy Axel they were like you know going to like feminist demonstrations and stuff together in Stockholm <laughs> <laughs> you know and that and they would be you know they would just so um wise and and kind of conscious and had an expectancy of themselves in the world that's mm -hmm. so beautiful but then of course it's so complicated isn't it like being a human being being a, a man or a woman you know you set these you have these ideas of how you want to be in the world who you want to be and then, you know, still you'll meet someone <laughs> and, you know, fall for them and, you know, end up 
feeling run over and mutilated by the way that you feel or the way that you were unable to remain when it didn't turn out well or do you know what I mean at the end of the day we're also you know vulnerable human beings and I think it's also really important to be able to forgive yourself you know it doesn't mean that you're not a strong person or that you're not you know I think sometimes yeah like it's it's a, it's a it's complex being yeah yeah it is it, you know yeah because i know that i've been through things as as a woman like i'm you know i'm so proud of my womanhood and of the woman but you know i know that i've been through things where sometimes i've almost felt like i couldn't talk to my girlfriends about it because i actually felt so Embarrassed, like almost embarrassed with men. You mean? Yeah, like that. Oh my God, I've this has happened, and I definitely didn't deal with it very well. And like feeling, do you feel like you can? Do you talk about it? Have you spoken about it? Yeah, I mean, I have. Yeah, I I have because I think that actually, like being with your weakness is is you know, it's I, I don't know, like. Sometimes being weak is the strongest you can be. Mm. Like you have I read to about, be able to yeah. go like, you know, yeah. Yeah, I read about you talking about when you were promoting in New York and you were saying how it was just the norm to um, to sort of suck up to the radio station guys or the producers and in an effort to get your music played and it's something and you kind of got fed up with it. Um, no, I wasn't going to do it. I mean, I got very... Ex- uh, on a daily basis, like very exhausted, just mm. that thing of calling up, like, hi, this is, you know, this is, you're going to talk to Pete. This would be like my radio promo mm. guy. Like, this is Pete, you know, he's just had a kid, like talk to him about, you know, yeah, just like really personal stuff. And it's like both parties know that you've like never met. It's like such crap. But then, yeah, on a deeper level, like being out and someone, we don't need to go into who it was saying like, you know, if you just give these guys what they want, like they'll play your record. Sexual favors. I, I that the insinuation? I'd, I'd say something yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't think it was a handshake. Yeah. <laughs> Another kind of handshake. <laughs> Another thing. kind of handshake. <laughs> yeah. So, but I mean, like, um, yeah. I mean, but I think to go back to like where, when. When, when you you just asked me a while ago about like the women that I met here and who I was kind of influenced by, like that's where that came into play because I didn't feel like I had to and I had no interest in in playing that part, you know. And um, so then that kind of thing of like kind of being a warrior woman or coming from a place of which you might call rebellious, but actually it's just like... Um, more about nurturing who you are and allowing yourself to try and figure out who who you are, mm, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. And just, yeah, like not thinking that you have to just like play the game, yeah. you know? And I think that's always been the thing in my career and like with the people that I've been, you know, lucky enough to work with, like Judy Blame or even my, you know, lifelong collaboration with Cameron and... Cameron McVeigh, who's out there, my husband, (laughs) um, you know, over the years. I mean, there's been so many, you know. Mm. I've just been talking to John Baptiste Mondino on the phone yesterday. He shot your all like sushi Yeah, he shot the cover. Like iconic. The Manchild cover. He did the video for Manchild and many others. How's he doing? (laughs) He's good. You know, medicinal. Uh. But I think like, um, yeah, so I just feel like over the... The, the, you know that's been our thing it's like well, we don't have to we don't like you don't have to just do like the thing whatever that thing is that l- rule that line where you go in and you f- you know behave and just go down the line it's like bring something different you know if you want mm. and I don't yeah I guess I've just always been kind of allergic to yeah, that it's not necessarily that I'm a non-conformist. Can, can, non-conformist, can you say that? 
that it becomes like it's not a thing because that can be kind of annoying too when you're just like no 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 I don't you know that yeah, trying to be outside the yeah. fucking box all the time <laughs> you know that's like exhausting but I think I'm interested in the challenge of like exploring new things you know and trying to just yeah be expressive you know yeah what's else what's next on your list tea <laughs> you make a very good cup of tea oh bless you i love tea you know and i tea i feel like tea comes into all of the things that we've talked about like like family food spending time with people spending time with yourself which is also really important like having a cup of tea is like great and i just drink more tea than anything else what in the world nowadays. What tea are you drinking nowadays. at the moment? I'm drinking turmeric tea. Oh. Um, uh, literally, I mean, I pee all day. I drink <laughs> tea all day. <laughs> Do you drink coffee? Nope. I stopped drinking coffee about a year ago. I, d- I wasn't, I was never really like a devoted coffee drinker. Like, I love the smell of coffee. Cameron, my husband, was like a nut bag. You know, if you didn't drink coffee <laughs> in the morning... It was like we were visiting my family um, in L.A. and they live in like out in the hood, hood like Inglewood, kind of not too far from Compton. And there's not a lot of like baristas out there yet. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like my auntie was like, oh, well, there's a Starbucks, you know, over in wherever. And Cam was like, no, I can't drink Starbucks. <laughs> I know he was really embarrassed, too. But then, um, yeah, because uh, he just felt like such a plonker. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like so yuppie, white yuppie guy. <laughs> like, you know? I need but, my flat uh, yeah, white. I have yeah. to have my flat yeah. white, yeah. <laughs> but um, anyway, he, uh, he also stopped drinking coffee. So what I was going to say is he's always been a coffee person, but I just got into more like having a cortado every now and then more as a kind of a thing because it just felt I'm like... really enjoying of, it. Yeah, yeah, and it's a nice mm. little cup and I felt a little bit lady. Yeah. A bit lady, lady, having a cup of cortado. But I've quit, and now I'm just really not even drinking that much black tea, like a cup of Earl Grey a day, but loads of herbal teas. Wow. You, I just like it. All the are diff- you health conscious? Um, yeah, I guess so. Mm. I mean, um, yeah, I, I, I feel like, um, you know, I feel like I you have to take responsibility and of your being it's like the only body i've got right mm. now were you always like that did it change when you had kids or i mean i actually grew up eating like i mean i wasn't that happy about it like when my parents were just <laughs> were like they cooking growing, brown rice like and stuff outside lentils and, and, yeah. and vegetables but you know um but i a lot of it was really good and then no meat for a while and you know the day my mother like cooked a chicken for the first time in a few years i was like literally screaming and running around the house um so I guess I come from a, a like a place of like consciousness regarding food yeah I feel like when I came to live here and I like literally had very little money like I knew how to go to the market and like buy food like me and a- Andrea like we'd go and like buy you know chicken we'd have like a fiber Great. Yeah. We'll get some chicken wings. We'll get some greens, you know, a bag of rice. Nice. You know, and still have some money left to get a couple of red stripes or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What are you um what are you cooking in at Somerset House? Um well actually it's a big menu uh of uh, kind of, you know, our spirit of food, but actually Andrea, because I've been away a lot, has um it's a Wadadli, which is her food project um has uh, written uh, what's the word that <laughs> created the menu there's um barbecued chicken there's going to be um uh rotis with pumpkin and spinach uh there's going to be a sort of a pakora thing uh, there's lots of stuff goat curry rotis um yeah. Sounds good. Get it. It's going to be good. It's <laughs> going to be good. And can we talk about, you mentioned Judy Blame already, but I wanted to talk about how you arrived at your look. 
so at the time the iconic look so you know late 1988 or 87 um and it was so different and groundbreaking at the time and um ray petri who mm. i think you'd already you'd met him not that you met him on a trip to Tokyo or something, and he was obviously this uh, a stylist, or he was that, that word didn't exist at the time, but he was creating looks mm. for all those trendy magazines like The Face and ID. Um, how did you arrive at the look? Do you remember? It's a good question. Yeah, it was like a like with all these things. I mean, oh, not all these things. That's a very vague thing to say, but like. I think a kind of a combination of like taking, obviously, I guess just the way that I was to start with. Like, Were I you wearing that, that kind of thing already? I think like, well, if you think about what Buffalo, so Ray yep. Petri, what they were doing, which was like the bomber jacket, the cycling shorts, which was one a big part of that look. Mm. Um, and I guess... I mean, I can't really remember exactly what I was working in my kind of day-to-day -day life, but I'm sure I was wearing cycling shorts. I was definitely like wearing short skirts and trainers and my hair and the bomber jacket was going on. And like Ray Petrie was ill, you know, and very ill around the time when we were starting to kind of get to the visual aspect of Rolex Sushi. And he said um, one day, like, I'm not going to make it. Like, I can't, I can't do this with you, but I think you should work with Judy Blame. Wise words. Yeah, so Judy was working with Christopher Nemeth, and they were, like, making these, for instance, these great jackets out of mail bags. Like, in those days, you could, like, I don't know why they would throw mail bags on the platforms of the train stations, but I guess maybe the drivers would have some post and they would dump it out and then someone would come and pick it up. So you'd find these, like, they were like canvas mailbags with, oh, like, right. leather straps on them. They were, like, super cool. So they were making jackets and things out of those. Um, so I'd kind of met Judy and we were both, like, slightly fascinated by each other and just had a really lovely exchange. But, like, when Ray said Judy, I was like, Really? I was like, <laughs> not sure. And it wasn't that I wasn't sure. I was just kind of like a bit surprised, but no, asked no questions. I was like, yeah, of course. So I got in touch with Judy and um, he came, I remember to our house, we were living not that far from here in Kensal Rise at the time. And he had just done some sketches, you know, like in his book, pretty nice drawings of kind of my hair and big earrings and and so I think it was just that from what was going on around us and then I think always Judy being able to see me because we just had a kind of an intimacy and a closeness and I think Judy's ideas he was always interested in the person and saying something through who you are as a person rather than oh here's a bunch of stuff I'm going to drape you all up in that this and then we can't see you anymore <laughs> you know mm. what I mean it was to bring out so and then it, of course different when Judy was maybe doing like a fashion story like his pollution story or you know yeah. what I mean where he, uh, that, that's another thing which was more like art you know but I think of course there was a lot of creative energy and art and what we were doing but it was about you know visually enhancing something that was already there were you thinking so, about the hip-hop scene and hip-hop of course in the states as well because well because i mean i was kind of coming out of new york i had that with me also because i brought that here with me and i was going out in new york when hip-hop when all of that was really hap you know kind of starting and happening uh what's it called starting and going on so I mean um I had I mean I kind of had that vibe and I guess for him listening to the music and also what we were listening to which was like and I was really really into of course all of the you know in particular the amazing women that were around at that 
time, Roxanne Chante and MC Light. And there were a lot of really strong women in hip hop, actually. Um, so, yeah, so we, we got, um, we actually went to World, the shop here, run by um, Michael and uh, Galinda, who did Kinky Galinky, the World shop. That was, that was in? What, in what? Common Garden, I think it was. Okay. And, um, and that was kind of like an Aladdin's cave, and they had like, you know, stuff from Bali, from India, from New York. So that was like the go-to place in London to get the door and knocker that, and the, you know, the gold chains. The I think we got the dollar sign in there. Oh right. And and so then it was just, yeah. Like I think, you know, Judy was a very intuitive person. He was a very, you know expressive and political minded and you know um so he just we just yeah we just you know did the big trainers the shorts and then of course using the designers that were around um judy always had an amazing eye for an instinct of like who was going to work but British designers, um, or yeah, I yeah. mean, we did a lot of Rifat in the beginning, um, and uh, oh my Rifat god, did, yeah, Rifat Osbeck, um, of course, Azadin, John, John Paul Gaultier, um, but there were other people here that we were using. Like like more London based yeah, designers, yeah, and I just yeah. literally like I'm an idiot. I just can't remember who they were, but. So just mixing that up with, it really feels know, like like with, but bringing it like home. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean, and just yeah. like de- you know, t- and also de- decom like, well not decomposing, but you know like m- shift not just as we were saying before necessarily doing a full look. But See, just I think like, it's really interesting that you don't remember a lot of the designers because I really feel like when I look at what you were wearing then and pictures of you since you've, it always feels like. You you've you're really closely tied in with fashion in a way, but it never they never defined you really. You were kind of always the clothes were like enhancing you rather than the other way around. Yeah, I mean, I think that clothes are kind of amazing, aren't they? Because they complete mm. completely can either enhance the way that you feel. They can also kind of kill the way that you feel if you, you put the wrong thing on. You yeah, know what I mean? Totally. It's so weird. Like you know, if I walk out the door some days and I'm like, oh my god, like these trousers they can it can literally ruin the whole day and you know some days you want to wear something more insular and some days you want to like strut out like yeah here I am but I think visually like the interesting and important thing I think always in the way that we worked was to to um you know tell the story and to amp um What's the word? What did you just use? Amplify or yeah, enhance? Yeah, to kind of enhance yeah. what was there. He made you look visual so... visual detail. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's yeah. the fun, isn't it? Of, was it Azadine, Aliyah, the, 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 you know, the fitted stuff you were wearing? But a lot of it was like Azadine. No, well, the stuff, well, you know, the stuff for the cover of Rolex Sushi, that's like, this was like classic, the way, the kind of family, funny, GD, the way we were. So I was like, when we did the cover, what happened was we did a picture, we did a session with Mondino before we did the cover. So we did the picture, which I think ended up being the cover for Manchild, which is like a profile with just my hair. And then we did some pictures for, for um, where we did wrapped up some bandages, which was like Ray Petrie used a lot of like imagery like that like a boxer and then he'd put a gray hat on and you know yeah so we went buffalo and I did my wrapped my hands I guess also which were a symbol of like kind of in a way survival like fighting the fight or whatever um and then they those pictures were like all right but not amazing but we were like maybe we should do that for a cover idea so we went back to Paris me Judy Cam blah 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 and Tyson, because by then I'd had the baby. And so the cover of Rolex Sushi is like, basically me and Judy had gone to like Pont Tom, which is like Marks and Spencer's kind of, you know, mid, mid-range kind of department-y 
store, lower. bought some bras, um, found this nice little bra. The leggings were just my, like, fuck knows where they came from. So basically what I'm wearing on the cover is just what I'd been breastfeeding in. <laughs> so I was just, had my bra, and then Mondino, and, you know, everyone was like, great. Had jewelry, bandages, Amazing makeup. So actually, there is no wardrobe <laughs> on the cover, really. Yeah. And then the, on the back, though, there's that little short suit. And but you know, I'd have to, um, yeah, like I'd have to go back and work out with some of those things. I mean, I know that I did wear someone like Rachel Auburn, who was making stuff. We used to also be on the kind of smaller designers. Quite a lot of the younger like more left field more underground designers also mm. who were around at the time and then your other big famous moment at that time was when you performed man child on top of the pops while pregnant and wearing buffalo those... stance was it buffalo stance yeah. sorry if I'm that's not right. that. um, <laughs> i um well um where and you were wearing those kind of clothes that, again but you weren't we weren't making any concessions to being pregnant you weren't trying to hide it you were celebrating yeah it. and i mean going back to what we were saying about you know being a woman and the woman women I've known and the woman that I feel that I am and the kind of space that I was interested in taking up in music it felt completely don't you think it's good like, that I think, should stand yeah. there and not yeah. pretend like it wasn't going on yeah. actually and I know like all saints did it since and but I'm just thinking I was thinking about it yesterday and thinking it's quite weird because actually it's not something you see that much have I've seen that much since then um no because I think women who are in the public eye when they're pregnant tend to not be photographed yeah. as much as they are yeah. when they're not pregnant I mean I'm sure that some women just like don't feel like being photographed and I think that's yeah. fine. I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're not doing it because, you know, there's some overtone that you're unattractive or that you should go away. I think some people just maybe just don't feel up to it. But I just, I just feel like I, I don't, I, I did, I, that it was important in a way to st- to do it you know to not because I think just I was just thinking about what you to not go away to not hide you know but to celebrate it and to feel like sensual and 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 beautiful and Mm. and sexy and kind of energized by what's happening and I mean yeah shit you get tired and you know all those things but but I think like there is still, um, yeah, I mean, it's still so terrible for women in a way. Mm. Yeah, in that's the, what I in, mean. In, yeah. the me- in the, you know, whether you want to call it, the, it's not just the media, it's like in the world. There is this, just this constant, you know, noise around you of like how you should look or, you know. Do you think uh, that's something that's got It's terrible. I think in some levels... That it's, yeah, yeah, I think in some ways maybe it is. Do you think social media is... I mean, when I you see your daughters, do you think that social media has had a negative impact on that side of things? I think that they are not um, maybe because of how they are in the world. I think maybe they're, they're not maybe the, the kind of young women that are... Um, comparing themselves I mean they're trying to be in themselves and to love who they are and I think that they have a lot of role models of other women who are not um, carved and cut do you know what I mean but I still think that you know we still struggle constantly even when you have wise ideas of and feelings towards how you who you are and how you want to be you'll still sit around fucking hating on yourself and worrying about what you weigh and your mm-hmm. ass and, mm-hmm. you know. And I, and for Mabel, you know, I know that some, it's like, it's hard, you know, mm-hmm. because she'll get uh, 200,000 likes and loves and then someone will say something really shit. And even the other day when I was looking at her, one of the comments on 
someone had said something oh, really I can't believe you look at them. Horrible. Oh well, I just fl- I just went, I didn't really mean to, yeah. but I was just going to see, you know, oh. sometimes it's interesting. You just sort of go, oh yeah, there's like 25 comments. And just someone had said something really, st- st- and I was like, okay, I want to write back to this person. And, t- and it was a girl, it was a woman. And you're just like, do you know what? Like, and you, and I know that when, of course, you'll have 25 things of beauty. And then once one person says something shit and it hurts, you know, and it's hard. All of that. It is really, 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 really hard. And, you know, and it's still a thing, isn't it? Where it's like, oh, you know, we're doing this for the outsized person or we're including people of all shapes. And But it's. You know, it's still kind of a thing. It's not normal still, like just how it should be. It's still like, oh, we've got, you know, people of, and and that's where we have to get past because. It's still like a marketing ploy. It's still. And I mean, I just, I just played Primavera in Barcelona and, and did a small gig at, um, like at Soho House uh, in Barcelona at the beach the day after and, you know, we were really well looked after. It was great. Stayed in Soho House for a few nights. And there were lots of beautiful people. And there were also a kind of a, dis- a disturbing amount of young women who were basically anorexic. You know, and it was a week where there were a lot of people around for the festival. And, you know, everyone's on the rooftop and, you know, and it's all very glamorous and great, which is great. But like, it's actually heartbreaking to like see what's going on with a lot of young women and like a lot of like, you know, fake lips and stuff. And you're just like, wow, you're actually a young, really cute girl. Like you don't need to do this to yourself, you know? And it's... So is that something that's gotten worse? Is that something that you've noticed getting worse over the past Well, I think, I mean, like having, um, you know, like eating disorders and, you know, of course, that's not a new thing thing Mm. but i think that that this kind of world of like almost like the the pressure to be like almost looking like robotic is like insane you know i just i just feel that there's uh, i I mean i don't know because like on one hand i feel like we're there's a uh, you know a lot of people of course you look around you just see all these beautiful creatures that are trying to be who they are it sort of depends on like environments and where you are but I also think that there is an aspect of creating beauty where it's like totally normal to go and have like surgery how did you make your daughters did how did you make sure that they or help them not think in that way did you make a conscious effort I mean I've just always tried to nurture them to kind of, for them to be able to honor who they are, you know, and to hopefully learn to feel that they're good enough, you know, because that's something that we all battle with, isn't it? Like, should I be more? Should I be, and, you know, and that you've all this information that you're taking in and having to digest all the time, which is like, you know, you should be doing this, you should be doing that. You're this age. Why haven't you got this? Why are you... So I guess just, like, trying to, you know, ha- help them think for themselves, you know, like... And, you know, fair play. I'm not going to sit here and say that, like, you know, because if, like, you're really unhappy about something with your body, like, to the point where it's, like, breaking you, then, of course... I wouldn't say like, you know, I think it's a, a complete criminal act if you f- really feel that you need to have something done. You know what I mean? It's not that because I think that, but I think this this that it's so throwaway and that, you know, that maybe also because you're looking at the Kardashians and all these people who have spent, you know, millions of dollars on their bodies, that it's also like a kind of, that it's going to, you're going to find a, a gold solution, a golden nugget, a thing, you know, which is like happiness. I'll be like them and, you know, and yeah, that's, yeah. And it's like, you know, it's, yeah, 
Yeah. Is there anything else on your list? Um. Okay. Family books. Okay. Books. <laughs> that's that's the that's the last one. We've okay. had music, tea, women, books, books, books love, books, and uh, yeah, I have traveled. Were your parents many books. Were your parents big readers? Yeah, particularly my mother was a huge reader. Did she encourage I mean, she, you to read? Yes. So when I dropped out of school, um, what was what was supposed to be temporarily, but ended up being when you were permanently. Fourteen. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was f- like maybe not too far off fifteen. Um, my mother was like, "Okay, you know, fine." <laughs> or not fine, but we were going to New York from Sweden. Take some time. You know, I'd been having a bit of a struggle. But you've got to read. You know, you've got to read these books. You're not just going to be like sitting around here, you know, doing nothing kind of thing. So she gave me books like uh, 100 Years of Solitude or Giovanni's Room, James Baldwin, or um, Isaac Bashevi Singer. I can't remember which one. Um, crime and punishment I think books like real serious books um, and then I I've just uh, kept kept going you know and I think I fiction mainly mainly yeah. I had a I did have a period when I was actually quite young still like when I I read a lot of uh, autobiographies like Lauren Bacall and kind of oh, funny yeah. Hollywood kind of yeah <laughs> so good yeah Montgomery Cliff yeah <laughs> books like that um Martin Luther King Malcolm X but yeah reading I mean it's been a very big part of like I, I I've read a lot of women writers female writers and it was like been a and and a lot of black women and I think it was a very big part of also like coming out of Sweden, you know, being in New York, but like also finding like my own womanhood and who I was and other black cultural, women, you mean? Yeah, like, like, you know, like um, being in a world where that part of my being wasn't getting enough when I looked out and around me in the world that I was living in. So. Through those books, you know, I, I kind of, yeah, learned so much and, um, and was so inspired, and found also, you know, a, yeah, like a lot. There was a book called, uh, by a woman called Untasaki Shange called Cypress Sassafras and Indigo. Um. I guess like Alice Walker actually. Um, uh, and uh, Maya Angelou. Um, I've always loved Isabella Allende, like Daughter of Fortune is one of my favorite books. Eva Luna, they're just like such mad kind of ad- adventures. Um, but yeah, like, the color purple i will never forget like just reading that book like being in my bed my, like staying mm. in bed for two days yeah reading it like <laughs> mm. um uh james baldwin and yeah i mean and and just and just the whole there's a whole world of books but i was just sort of that was just more like an era where mm. i found so much like richness and I think identity through reading those female voices you know and I think Maya Angelou is like I mean I was watching her there's a documentary about her on Netflix and her voice and her resonance is like so powerful Mm. the way she says things she has such clarity and such an amazing way of just you know taking few words you know Mm. and just weaving them together so that they're just like the truth you're just like (laughs) so in awe um and i guess also through reading you know i've i've got so much for my own work through reading books and you know um i can't think 
specifically right now of a book where I've just been like taking notes and, you know, and then playing with some of those inspirations for my own lyrics, you know, like just getting mm. ideas for like how to say things or funny metaphors or, you know. Yeah. Um, I ran into Sadie Smith on the canal a couple months ago. Mm. That was pretty, I was totally Do you starstruck. Know, do you know her? Or? No. This amazing woman like jogged past me. I was walking. <laughs> I was like, oh, she looked kind of familiar. She kind of smiled. And then she came running back the other way and she was like, oh, I just have to stop and say hi. And she said thanks. that to you? Yeah, for the music and stuff. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> <laughs> thank you, you know, for everything. Wow. That's nice. Yeah, that was really, that was, that was beautiful, actually. That's a nice place to end. Thanks so much, Nana. Thank you. That was an episode of The Collector's House, a Matches Fashion podcast. You can find more episodes and more about Five Carlos Place on the Matches Fashion website, and you can join the conversation on social media by searching for at Matches Fashion, at Matches Fashion Man, and the hashtag Five Carlos Place. Thanks for listening.